This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome to HRN Happy Hour. It's five o'clock somewhere, and somewhere this week is Charleston, South Carolina, and it's also Brooklyn, and it's also Connecticut. I'm Katie Mosman-Wadler, and I'm so, so pleased to introduce our newest co-host and our new head of growth for Heritage Radio Network, Frank Mentesana. Welcome, Frank. Thank you, Katie. It's a pleasure to be here and a pleasure to start working with Heritage Radio. I'm super excited, as you already know. (laughs) Well, we're so thrilled and fortunate to have you. We also have a really, really special guest today. Jillian Zettler is the executive director of the Charleston Wine and Food Festival and a regular on HR and Happy Hour. Welcome, Jillian. Hello. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to see you. It's so nice to see your face. It has been way, way too long, and uh, we are really excited to be plotting our return back to Charleston in person, live and in person, and uh, we're going to talk a lot more coming up about those plans and about the future. It's so nice to be looking at the future optimistically, feeling good, and um, you've got some big changes to tell us about, too, so we're going to dive into that um, This week, as far as announcements, really, Frank uh, joining the team is the biggest and brightest news that we can share. And so, um, you know, Frank, since you're new and uh, our folks have only heard from you on this show once before, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself and then what you're most excited about with HRN? Sure. Um, Yeah, so I've had this kind of incredible career in the food world that I'm not sure I even planned. It just, you know, just one thing led to another. And, um, you know, I started in the hotel business, um, specifically in the food and beverage area, and then ended up um, kind of getting tired of sitting in meetings all day with my business suit on and ended up uh, kind of tapping into my entrepreneurial you know, spirit and opened a uh, bakery cafe and catering company in New York City many years ago called Once Upon a Tart. Um, and then that segued into this opportunity to write a cookbook around uh, <clears throat> around all of our recipes. Um, so I had an opportunity to write the cookbook and um, fortunately also got to photograph the cookbook, which was super fun. But it opened up my eyes to this idea of publishing and food styling and writing and photography. And that was kind of what I did next in my food journey. Um, And then I coincidentally talked to someone at a party who said, you should meet my husband who runs a school in Newark, New Jersey. And they are trying to just change everything about the way our, their kids grow up and learn about health and wellness and food and sustainability. Um, So without getting into all the details, I ended up taking a consultancy job with this school. And 10 years later, I was still the founding director of a program called Eco Spaces Education, which is how 
you, uh, you and I met, Katie, and, um, <clears throat> and did that for quite some time. So we basically brought food literacy education to schools and communities. And uh, just, you know, great timing because I was looking to kind of continue my journey through food, but in a different capacity. And, um, and this opportunity came up. So I'm really excited about being here. This is really only my kind of fifth or sixth day. So that's cool. Um, and I, I'm just excited because I feel like we're at this point in, um, you know, HRN where there's so many opportunities for growth and, um, and, 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 and the possibilities seem to be, um, you know, just, just it's quite it's kind of endless. And, and now that I've gotten to know the, the team, I'm even more excited because I, I think I'm, having the opportunity to work with this great, passionate, you know, group of people who really are, uh, you know, deeply care about our mission, um, and, and food, of course. So yeah, that's my, that's my little background story. Amazing. And, um, Jillian, for folks who might be new to this show or who haven't been to Charleston Wine and Food before. Can you give us your your quick background too, and then um, tell us the 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 sort of ethos of the show, uh, the festival rather. Sorry, I'm in podcast mode, and then we'll get we'll get down to like all the many changes and the new things that are coming up. But just like kind of the overview. So um, I am a original Long Islander who grew up in Vermont. Um, and I say, like, I go that far back to say that I think my connection with food was growing up in a small town with a mom who was not Italian, but married into a very large Italian family. And that was the way that she, I think, won over my um, my grandmother, was learning how to cook her recipes well. And in Vermont, um, there's a slogan, and if you've been to Vermont, you've probably heard it, that they were green before green was cool. And so we yeah. had <laughs> no um, we had no chain restaurants. We had one stoplight. All the restaurants were owned by people that I knew. And so, you know, I, I feel like that is kind of at the epicenter of me and how I've even searched out food when I've traveled and going to college and things like that. I never, ever would have guessed that um, now at the age of 39 that I would have spent over a decade um, overseeing, creating, working on wine and food festivals. I never thought that that was in the cards for me. Um, but my, I went to Clemson University, which is what brought me down south and uh, fell in love with the sunshine, thought that I would end up somewhere where you are, Frank, near Brooklyn or in New York, <laughs> because I love New York so much. Um, but my career path had other thoughts. I was a young mom and um, became rooted in South Carolina and, you know, ended up with an amazing opportunity after working in record and music promotion for a little while and then taking over the reins as the program director, um, promotions director, marketing director for the wine and uh, for the Children's Museum in Greenville, South Carolina, to interview for a job um, as the executive director for Euphoria, which is a food, wine and music festival in Greenville. And um, being there for three years, cut my teeth in a smaller event in a, another beautiful city in South Carolina. And then had the opportunity to interview in Charleston and it just felt like stepping onto a larger stage. And I feel like I maybe went through the interview process from a space that 
If it happened, it would be wonderful. If it didn't, then I was in love with the city I was in. And boy, did I not realize I could fall in love with another South Carolina city even more. So um, the tra- trajectory from there was was hard and fast and crazy because um, Charleston's food scene was really, really percolating. I mean, bubbling over 10 years ago and whatever people thought it was then. I mean, it's unbelievable the things that have shifted and changed um, to the point that we're in now. And I can't believe that I'm like eking on, you know, nine years in this role, which is is wild and fascinating um, and sometimes scary and also exciting. So that is what got me to Charleston. The event itself is um, has migrated from, I think, back in 2006. It was two days. It was really just a couple of events, mostly kind of that, uh, what most people think, I think, when they think of a festival, right? Like, like small sips and samples, a tasting experience. And it has blossomed into five days and gotten off the peninsula and now stretches from, you know, Isle of Palm to... Sullivan's Island to James Island to Wadmala to, you know, downtown Charleston to North Charleston and really trying to pay homage to all of the different places and people that contribute to this unbelievable food scene um, for the size of, of city that we are. So, you know, beverage workshops and cooking classes and little, you know, culinary field trips that take you to places you'd never really be able to explore on your own. And then, of course, some larger signature events and the place where the original teepee went up um, together with HRN at the Culinary Village, which um, is also, you know, probably a large strand of newness that we could talk about for this year as well. Yeah. I think this is going to be, I was counting on my fingers just now. Is this our seventh year of partnership? I think we're getting there. I, yeah, I, I think I'm, so. I'm like, that sounds, it's incredible. And and I've been so privileged to go most of those years. Um, the, the first year was before my time with the, the original TP, but my first time um, you had created an incredible, enormous double teepee, beautiful situation. We have like an outdoor recording booth, people dropping in. And uh, it's just been so much fun. And I have met people, I mean, people that I met the first time we went to the festival and I was super green. I think it was my first time ever interviewing anyone. Um, and I was like on our stage and it was live. And um, I made friends that first year that I'm still close with now. And actually, um, the person who came with us that first year as a volunteer is now our board chair. And that's how special our time together was. It was like we'd been connected through a friend. It's Liza Hamm. Um, So one of our hosts was like, you should meet Liza. She's interested in volunteering. And she came with us that first year. We spent all of our time together for a few days. We had a absolute blast and then she stayed on she we hired her for a while and then um, she joined our board and now she's the head of the board and and that I really do give so much credit to that to the experience that we had together and and it's just been an absolutely delightful partnership and I'm so excited to get back the last time our team was in Charleston of course was 2020 it was like March 9th. Oh gosh. And, um, it was uh, we were on the edge of something and none of us knew. I know. I was I, know. On, I was on maternity right. leave. I was at home feeling so sorry for myself that I I mean happy to be home with my baby but really really um wishing I was there. And um and then you know we snuck that in 
and then things changed pretty dramatically quickly after that. And yes. then, like a few days after our team got home, we shut down our studio and of course like have made many changes since then. And and we spoke to you back in March of this year. Yep. It would have been, the, you know, the, the in-person festival in a normal year. And so, you know, we talked a lot about how things were changing in the, the sort of virtual world. And um, in that time, you all have done some really incredibly deep thinking and made some huge changes to the festival that I think are going to be so amazing to see put in place in 2022. And I don't want to give too much away, but I would love for you to maybe give an overview of of what's going to be new when we're back together. And the festival is going to be in person next year. We are going to be there. I cannot wait. You are. Um, So yeah, talk about that. (laughs) So I'll talk about some external things, and then I'll share maybe some internal things too. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm sure people could imagine, you know, when you have that much space, people think like, well, you've just been planning the event the whole time. And I think for those of us that are constantly in the trenches of doing live events, you know, and then are so, um, so acquainted with the inner workings of the hospitality industry, we all know that we have not been able to to be in full-fledged planning mode. You know, you had a full industry, hotels, restaurant, food industry that is still rehabilitating from, you know, the most, I think, the most wicked time of, of most industries during um, the past 18 months mm-hmm. plus. Um, and the live event industry really is is very akin to all of very similar issues, you know, complete shutdown and figuring out how to bob and weave and and you know evolve and all of those things. Um, so I know for us, we've been in this like condensed planning period where it felt like it was finally okay to maybe reach out to restaurants and see how they felt and you know what was programming going to look like and. Pre- previous to that, it was a, a lot of turning inward. Like, what do we want this thing to feel like when people finally show up? How do we, you know, what do we want to showcase? What are we all about? So I would say a huge chunk of the time leading up to what people will see, you know, when the when the tickets are facing everybody. And I know we're, we're a little bit rolling back in time um, to what will be next week when we launch the schedule. But I do feel like, we approached this year in such a different way that I am so very proud of. And I knew that the team was capable of rethinking, but I think, you know, the strongest organizations are ones that like to, to like kind of paraphrase one of my favorite people to listen to Adam Grant are scientific thinkers. So we really tried to be scientific thinkers as it related to the event. You know, we've done it this way before, but maybe what we thought was the best way before is not the best way now. And how do we get the best result? And we need to have the people that we're trying to serve at the epicenter of all of those decisions. So it was a ton of collaboration, a lot of focus groups, a lot of um, surveying for feedback. And we really, I think this year have become the facilitators of making the programming happen. But I can't say that like the ideas are coming from our core team, you know, like in broad strokes, we kind of knew some things that we wanted to do, but it really was a a huge shift in saying like, okay, if we're going to have a barbecue event, 
who do we need to talk to? Who is the, who's the local person first? And then who would they be excited to have come to the festival? And how are we going to make this, you know, equitable and authentic and where should it take place? Where do they think it should be? And does the venue feel right? And all of those things. And while it has been a little clunkier, right? Because it's not the process that we were used to. I feel like the end result feels so good and so cool to know that now internally we can look at all of these a hundred plus events and go, that came from, you know, Digby and that came from, you know, BJ Dennis and that came from, you know, Omar and Sybil Tate and like just being able to to just to look, think about other people lending their influence to the way that we program. So that was a little bit of what was happening internally. Um, and it was, I mean, I give all the props to our programming team um, who really has just been, again, the facilitator of those conversations and um, asking great questions and helping to just manifest this amazing schedule. Externally, I think one of the largest shifts is that, you know, we did move the culinary village, which had been taking place um, in downtown Charleston to North Charleston's Riverfront Park. And there are a multitude of reasons for that, um, you know, including the fact that in this new era of event planning, we have so much room to roam out at Riverfront. We've produced some events out there before. It's a beautiful space, but it gives us the chance to grow and evolve and do some things that we were just really kind of like bursting at the seams downtown to do. And it also creates a lot of accessibility in that space, just where it is and um, just, you know, geographically things are shifting around where pockets of people are in the Charleston area in the low country. And I'm just, I'm beyond thrilled for us to be able to do that. That's I have so much more. I can so keep going. Exciting. I know there's more. I'm going to ask you questions. We're going to go there. Um, I have a few just burning questions. I'm, one is just about that um, that feedback process and sort of in those focus groups and in those surveys, I'm so curious to know, like, was there anything there that surprised you? Because I'm sure you could predict, you know, what some of those answers would look like, but like, what were some really big takeaways or some surprises that came out of those groups? You know, I have to say that a lot of the things that were shared were not things that were super surprising, but what we did gain were some insights onto like how to finally solve for some things. And, you know, I don't think that gets a shocker to, to anybody that like when you have the same fish swimming around in the same pond searching for answers, like sometimes that's all you can dredge up are what those fish have to offer. And so I think it was who was who was trying to glean insight, right? And we've been working also with a DE&I consultant, um, Dr. Sean Edwards is amazing and giving and lending a lot of insight on how we seek feedback. And I think one of the things that I've even personally learned is like, it doesn't matter how genuine your intentions are in trying to get feedback, people need to feel comfortable to give it. And so, you know, like the modalities that we had for asking for people's opinions, like even in some cases, I think that there were people that were like, we like 
the the people that are producing the festival, but I just don't even know if I feel comfortable like hurting their feelings or their intentions are good, but it doesn't feel comfortable to share. And, you know, like at the end of the day, like what do you, you keep your ego intact to not get hard, hard criticism or critique back to be able to shift? Or do you go, you know what, like, let's get this all the way down to the studs and figure out how to rebuild this in a way where we feel like we're coming together, which really is also the epicenter of our of our campaign this year, which is 22 together and we're better together, whether, you know, and, and telling truths together, being honest together and doing the best that you, you can as you step forward. And I'm really, really proud of where we're going. That's fantastic. I want to take that moment of reflection to take us to a really short break. And then we're going to come back with more of the lovely Jillian Zettler in just a moment. Thank you. And we'll see you then. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin bringing their cheese-making traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheese-making culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old-world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheese-making craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome back to HR and Happy Hour. We are here with Charleston Wine and Foods Executive Director Jillian Zettler and uh, our newest addition to our team and host of HR and Happy Hour, Frank Mentesana. Um, so, Frank, I'm going to turn it over to you. Sure. Well, that is super exciting. I can't wait to go to my first festival in March. Um, I did listen to your last interview and I loved the, you said it was the first time that the boat wasn't yanking you along. Like you were really steering, kind yes. of steering the ship after all your years of producing um, festivals. So I'm just curious as to what, what, what challenges you think might be uh, kind of eminent or in your future where you, where you might suddenly feel like you're not you're not steering the ship. Are there are there certain things that are so new that that oh, they yes. must feel like experiments and pilots? Yeah, there's there's so much newness. I mean, I think like we want to produce the safest event possible, and I think we can all recognize that. You know, again, going back to that idea of scientific thinking, right? Like we do with the information we have when we have it, and then when we know better, we do better. Which I didn't say, right? But I love that quote. And I, I feel like right now as event planners, we're doing that a lot too. So you're just kind of 
making the best plans you can and leaving room for things to evolve. And we all know, given what we were talking about of when the festival happened and what where we were even two weeks after that, that a lot can shift in a very finite amount of time. So, you know, we're trying to produce a really safe event. So, you know, safety, COVID procedures and things being, you know, one bucket, massive moving a venue where you, you know, had over a decade worth of, you know, strategy and timelining and all of that is, is a shift. Um, you know, we've got some new players behind the scenes. So like, that's really exciting, but there's also like institutional knowledge, you know, things that you're playing around with as well. And then, you know, and and then I think beyond that, I I think one of the things that I want to be careful of is that it's so easy to slip back into old habits, you know, and so I just don't want to get to the point where that we don't rhythmically start going like, well, we don't have time to think about that, because I think that there is time. It's sometimes like externally, it's hard to communicate when people don't understand necessarily all the thousands of pieces that roll into planning an event of this size, but like slow and steady and thoughtful is always the best route. And, and I feel like we've gleaned so much beautiful insight in this time that I want to be able to cherish that and honor that by not like moving into fifth gear again from 22 to 23. Right. So I'm really excited about uh, a change that's coming this year with, um, so the new location of the Culinary Village. I understand you've made an addition to the Culinary Village to um, make the festival more inclusive. And can you talk a little bit about this kind of new expanded vision of what the Culinary Village looks like and as a destination also for folks who are maybe more local? Yeah. So it's kind of in three parts, I would say. So the culinary village that people have kind of come to love was this, you know, ticketed space for sipping and sampling and music and podcasting and demos and all of that stuff. And I think we all also know that whether you're in sports or music or festivals or whatever, there's usually a finite amount of tickets that go around. There's only so much space. And I think the other beautiful thing that this area affords us is that the culinary village is now the entire landscape of the park. The lawn is the ticketed space, but on the periphery, we're going to have something this year called the pavilion, where we'll have food vendors and beverage and and we'll have music so that especially locally, people that feel like maybe they missed the boat, they didn't get their hands on a ticket. It's a free space for people to attend with an elevated food and beverage situation that we know that, you know, people enjoy and they can come out for lunch. You know, it'll be pay as you go. It's not a ticketed space. Um, but we really want people to feel connected to the event. And when you have events that are ticketed, oftentimes it feels like that there's a barrier of entry and we feel like that this will really break that down in a very large way, which is awesome. Um, and then additionally, in the city of Charleston, we're actually going to be doing more free programming in Hampton Park, which if you've been to Charleston and you haven't strolled through Hampton Park, Hampton Park is absolutely stunning. It's one of the most beautiful green spaces on the peninsula. And we're going to be doing some um, free evening programming in Hampton Park as well. So that's a hot off the wow. off the press piece of oh, information cool. too. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Um, and I, I want to know too, for you know, 
as we know, restaurants have been completely upended during this time. Um, so many have pivoted. So many have changed the way that they're offering food and hospitality. Do any of your restaurant partners' service pivots or anything like that reflect in the way that um, we'll be seeing like food and drink samples or be seeing changes in vending? I'm just thinking about like the massive changes to takeout and delivery and meal kits and, and grocery that restaurants have gotten into and what you're seeing around that. Well, definitely. And I think one thing that we tried to do is not assume that the way that people participated in the past is the way that they wanted or could participate in, in mm-hmm. this new time. And I'm I'm going to give kudos to my talent manager, Jenna Kepley, who said that her motto for the 2022 season was to ask for less and give more. And we've mm-hmm. all been like, heck yeah, we can get behind that. Ask for less, give more. So really trying to also pump the brakes on even some of our really amazing overzealous chefs and beverage producers who are like, I'll do this and this and this and this. And we're like, no, 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 you won't. You're going to do like (laughs) this thing. And then you're going to leave all this time to go explore and connect and learn and have fun and actually put that badge that you get to like good use to enjoy because that's what we want. We want Uh it to feel like it's not work, that they are giving their time, um, but the festival covers the rest and that we want people to have time to roam, you know? And we know that like, there's been plenty of conversations around festivals being a slog and, you know, and being really hard work for people to participate in. And so we've been just trying to really break down barriers of entry and make sure that the programming that they're involved in is also things that inspire them and excite them or someone they want to work with or they've never met. And I feel like that is this, that's the schedule that's being delivered. That sounds exciting for the, for everyone involved in, yeah. in a way that might be a little different. Yeah, Absolutely. It's, I mean, speaking to you, it sounds like all new, all totally refreshed. Are there any events or um, components that you're keeping and why? Oh, goodness. Let's see. You know, we're keeping, yes, there's definitely some fan favorites. Um, I mean, opening night party is back for the first time in the festival's Um, or the organization's 16-year history, we're going to be producing opening night party at the Cistern, which is just a beautiful spot on the um, campus of the College of Charleston, Spanish Moss, like it's ethereal and gorgeous. So that will be really fun to kick off the week's festivities. Um, The festival finale, of course, is also going to wrap the event in in downtown Charleston as well. I mean, I'm excited about the gospel brunch as well. We've been working really closely with an amazing woman named Debette Jenkins, who is um, a part of the team at the International African American Museum, which is set to open soon. And so we'll be hosting this event at a park that's adjacent to where the museum will open. So I feel like that's going to be really fantastic. Um, And then, you know, I have to also brag a little bit on our 
had a beverage this year at Cha McCoy. I don't know if either of you had the chance oh, yeah. to meet Cha, but she is just like a lightning bolt. And I've been saying for forever that I feel like we have the ability to up our beverage game. And um, she got connected to me through another dear festival friend, like, cause we all kind of pal around and share notes together, <laughs> you know? And um, she is like, the coolest parts of beverage knowledge and logistical prowess. And she's a project manager and she's just worn all these different hats. And I think that people should take a really good look at the beverage programming on the docket this year as well, because it is her from top to bottom. And it's just, it's really cool. It's just really cool to be in a place now where I feel like I also get to lift up to the top and get into some of the strategic places that make me happy, that get me a little bit out of the trenches as well as the ED. And all you want as a leader is to be surrounded by people that are smarter than you. And that is what I've got in spades right now. So I'm, I'm just so excited and so proud. I can really relate to that. (laughs) (laughs) That's Uh, exciting. What's what's new that um, you can give us a sneak peek of? Well, I'll give you a couple of things. And I, one is probably not going to be super surprising to you, Katie, because um, so let's see. I would say I'm really excited again, like. Uh, all of these, all of these ideas, like most of them did, did not come from us, but we're doing an event called bubbles and buckets that I think is going to be really cool. Um, it's kind of homage to soul food. It's going to be like another kind of brunchy scenario adjacent to the gospel brunch, but for people that, you know, again, no Southern eats people that are traveling from afar that want to get, you know, a little bit of their grandma's house, collards, ham hocks, fried chicken, bubbles. We're going to have that going on, which is going to be really, really fun. Um, We've got a little bit of a similar, we've got some queens that will be coming into Charleston Wine and Food again, which are always a good time. So you'll see that somewhere on the schedule. And then for me, you know, I'm a music lover and I believe that people's relationship with food and comes in so many different forms and facets. I'm a wellness person. I feel like that word is buzzy and overused, but like, I love a good sweat. I actually just ran the Boston marathon on Monday and I wanted nothing more than when I finished than to have a delicious meal. Right. So like we eat when we're, after we've been sweating, we want to have good food when we listen to tunes, like it's all connected. It's all connected. So at the festival this year, the evening, um, the evening, like yin yang situation to the lawn at the culinary village is an event called nightcap. So on Friday and Saturday night, um, we've got some pretty big headlined concerts that are going to happen with some really cool curated concessions and beverages for people to enjoy. So that's pretty amazing. You you spoiler alerted one of my, one of my questions about the marathon, but I'm so <laughs> impressed and proud of you, Jillian. My God, what a warrior you are. Um, that's just outstanding. You're well, such an shout out to you, Danny Meyer, because um, I inhaled a Shake Shack <laughs> burger when I was done. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Um, so I, I'm so happy to Excellent. see the kind of wellness 
bent coming in as well. Um, and, and since you alluded to them, I don't know if you can tell us uh, anything about those music headliners, but we are all ears. So tell us either who they are or when we can find out. How about I can, I can, well, because, you know, like real time, we'll be able, I know you'll be able to drop this on the day that the schedule is live, but I can at least share a couple. So we're really excited to welcome Tank and the Bangas. If you're familiar with Tank and the Bangas, they were, um, you know, Grammy nominated and we're super stoked to have them in Charleston and St. Paul and the Broken Bones. So we're going to have a big old time dancing and cheersing and all the good things during the festival. And there's more to come, but I'm going to leave a few surprises (laughs) for when we launch the schedule. I got you. Well, it might get loud. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, Amazing. Well, this is just incredible. Um, Frank, did you have another question you wanted to pop in with? No, I, well, I'm, I'm a little curious. I think you alluded to it. I'm just curious how, like what, what, what kind of the biggest shift in your, in your job as executive director has, has become basically a result of, of this past year. And, and listen, clearly you're listening to all these voices, which I think is just an incredible thing to have so many voices at the table, including I'm guessing guests and, and your, you know, your participants, um, so I'd, I would love to hear a little bit about what your participants or your guests actually had to say, and then just kind of what you think shifted the most in your responsibility as ED. Yeah, you ask very good questions, Frank. If this is like a sign of things to come, I, I got to really like keep my skills sharpened for all future happy hours. I would say I'm going to answer that maybe in two parts. I would say from guests, you know, they're always going to have people that um, may question the, the decisions that you make, but I feel like it's our job to make it really clear what our core mission, vision, and values are, right? So that's one thing that as a leader, I was really proud, again, of my you know, ops director for like going back to the drawing board and going like, why do we exist? No, like really like, why do we exist? Why do we do Mm -hmm. that? And really trying to take that ripple. And I'm going to give a shout out to Gabby Tota Kostopoulos from like taking that and going like, okay, now how are we going to have that ripple? Not just hit our core team, but our board, because we are a nonprofit, you know, to our stakeholders, to the local people that live in Charleston, to the people that see our, you know, our ad in a, in, you know, in Severt or listen to me talk on, you know, HRN, like how do they know what we're all about? So I think that is a huge piece is just getting that message across to guests. I think as it relates to like being a leader of the organization, I think one of the toughest things for me is I feel like I'm a pretty hands-on leaner leader. Um, my degree was in education and I like got this piece of advice from one of my professors. I feel like my junior year at Clemson where she was like, you never want to give advice hovering over the top of a student. Like you got to kneel down, you got to get on their level, you got to be eye to eye. And even if you're delivering something that's tough, it feels a lot better to be eye to eye to someone and, and share information when it's hard. And I feel like I've always tried to carry that even into the office space. It's like when I'm talking to my team, I'm crouching down next to a desk, I'm sitting on a floor, 
So this whole like foray into digital and like trying to read body language and like, does that person seem off today? And oh my gosh, like I haven't checked in with Nisa in two weeks. I trust that she's doing all the things that she needs to do, but it's like those individual touch points that just come from constantly being in the same space has definitely been a challenge. And, you know, and thankfully I feel like we have an environment where again, like being surrounded by people smarter than you, that people are willing to raise their hand and go, you know what, like, let's rethink the way we're doing meetings or let's rethink like how available we are to one another, or if this piece of technology that once we thought was helpful is now kind of like getting into boundaries where, or not helping us have personal and professional boundaries. So, you know, Mm -hmm. it's an ever evolving thing, but I guess that's like some of the sick and twisted pleasure that I've always gotten out of live events is that they're never the same. And Charleston Wine and Food often feels like it operates very much like a startup, you know, you, the players are different, the resources are different, the venues are different, and you're back to square one pretty much every year. Um, but, you know, you can look at that as a detriment and it can be anxiety inducing or you can be like, no, you know what, this is this is like the universe's way of having me in a career path that allows me to wipe a slate clean and constantly try to do better. And um, and that's that's exciting to me. I'm still doing it. And if I wasn't excited by it, I, I wouldn't be here anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There seems to be a lot to be excited about. So I, I love hearing this story. I think Jillian, this interview, and then the last one that we did in March are required listening for anyone planning an event this year or really ever. Um, I just think that your approach is so wise and you have also surrounded yourself with brilliance, but you yourself are also brilliant. And um, it's just so amazing to see what y'all have done in this time and, and like so much unpredictability and, and so much absolute chaos. And to see this beautiful thing that you're putting together, I cannot wait to be there. And um, it's just so inspiring. So Thank you as always. This has been such a joy to talk to you. And um, we're really looking forward to so much more. So tell us where we can find the schedule of events. Yep. So the full schedule is at charlestonwineandfood.com. The website is where you get all of your tickets. Um, There are ways to reach out to us and ask us questions. We are human beings behind the website. So if you're having (laughs) trouble navigating, but there's a ton of cool filters, depending on what you're looking for, the size of the event, the time of the event, the vibe of the event, all of those different things. Um, And then of course, you know, signing up for our e-newsletters, following us on Instagram and all of those good things, you get the insider scoop of what's coming around the bend. Awesome. And uh, I believe tickets go on sale October 21st, 11 a.m. Eastern. So um, don't wait because they really do sometimes go quickly. And you see, that was even another learning curve. We shifted to 11 so that our West Coast friends weren't having to Mm -hmm. get up in the middle of the night to purchase tickets. So (laughs) it took us a few years, but we're looking out for you, California. (laughs) We hear you, Oregon. (laughs) So set your alarm, California. And uh, and we will be looking forward to seeing so many of you in person there. Please come by, visit us, listen to a show. We'll be back with more details about what our partnership will look like. Um, but it's 
just going to be such a joy to be back. So thank you so much, Jillian, for joining us. And we will be in touch and updating everyone with more details as they come. Thank you. Thank you, Jillian. (laughs) We'll see you next time on HRN Happy Hour. Thanks for listening. HRN Happy Hour is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>